Allow me to begin this morning, if I may, with a question for you. I have a question for you. Have you ever had an experience where you thought you were really good at something, and then later on you found out you just weren't? Have you ever had that experience where you thought you were really good at something, and then maybe in an embarrassing way or, a, or, a, or perhaps a shame-filled way you found out you weren't? Nobody likes that experience. None of us enjoy that. For me, that experience is when I was in college, I lived in Chicago. And in Chicago, I went to a church on the west side of Chicago. Um, and at this church, they had a, every Christmas, they had a ladies' tea time Christmas event. It's just the thing that they did, where every Christmas season, all the ladies would invite their friends and their family, and they would come to the church, and there'd be these tables set up, and decorations set up, and all this sort of stuff, and they would share some tea with each other, talk. I don't know what ladies do at church ladies' events. I'm no expert in that by any means, but they they did whatever ladies do in those ladies' events. I'm sure it was a great time. And with that, the guys of the church, the men at the church, were asked to step up and to volunteer And so they would step up and volunteer to be waiters, to be cooks, to be decor people, to set the stage, to make it presentable, to do all these sorts of things, to allow the ladies to have a wonderful time. And me and another one of my friends from college, we were both asked if we would provide the musical entertainment. We were asked, both of us play guitar, both of us sing, and he'd played guitar a lot longer than me, and you'll find out what, how that works in a second, but we, would, we were asked to bring up some, some Christmas carols and, and play in the background, sort of like, you know, the slow, mellow jazz kind of thing, you know, whatever we were trying to go for, just sing songs, you know, have a great time, and sort of fill the room with a little bit more of that Christmas spirit, if that's what you'd want to say. And I was really excited about this. I was very excited about this. And so we, 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 we get to the, the church, and it's all set up. It's got the decor and the tables, and all the ladies are there. They're talking. All the, the men are there with their white shirts and their black pants, and they've got, their, they've got their things with the plates on them, and you're praying that the kids that are doing it aren't going to drop anything. And it's this whole big thing. And me and my friend, we get up, and we start playing songs. The first song we played, I never forget it, Jingle Bell Rocks. Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Rocks. For those of you that don't like Christmas music before Thanksgiving, I'm sorry you're getting it earlier this year. But we were playing this, and I am jamming, yo. I am jamming. I am enjoying myself. I'm like, this is great. This is just fun. This is a fun experience, and I get to, to do something that I love to do. And I'm playing with my friend, and my friend's playing, and we're going, and we finish the song, and I'm just like, cloud nine moment. I don't know why I was so excited about it. I just was. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, that was great, that was fun. And my friend looks over and he goes, uh, hey man, would it be okay if this next time you didn't sing? <laughs> just, just, you can still play the guitar, just don't sing, let me take the singing, you can play the guitar. And I kind of heard that and I was like, okay, I mean, sure, if if you want to hear yourself sing, that's fine, I guess. If you want to do that, that's fine. I'll, but whatever, yeah, sure, fine. I didn't, I didn't let it affect me that much, I guess. We played the next song. I think it was some sort of Christmas hymn. Oh, come, all ye faithful, da, da, da. You know, the different songs. And I'm still having a great time. I'm jamming out on my guitar. He's jamming out on his guitar. He's singing because he wants to solo, which is all him, and that's great. And I'm sitting there playing, and we finish the song, and I'm still saying, this is great. This is fun. And then my friend leans over, and he goes, hey, man. 
Would it be okay if actually you helped out with the sound crew and just let me play the songs today, tonight? And I was thrown off. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'll explain it later. I'll explain it later. Don't worry. Just would you do that, please? And so I said, okay, sure, I guess, and go and finish out the event. And that night, we're sitting in our dorm room, and I'm like, what was that about? And, 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 and to his defense, nobody likes this conversation. But he was like, you're just, you sounded pitchy. You weren't keeping beats. We were messing up. You weren't doing super well. It just wasn't coming together, and, and I knew a little more than you did, and all this sort of stuff, and, 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 and it just, you just weren't as, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I just wasn't. I would hope I've gotten better since I've led worship here a couple of different times, but that's for you to, to decide. But if you remember back to that moment when you came face to face and you said, I'm not as good at this as I thought I was, how did it feel? Did you feel a bit of shame? Did you feel slightly embarrassed? Maybe you felt a little angry at yourself or even the person who told you you're not as good as you think you are? In those times, our pride is damaged. Our pride is damaged when we come face to face with the reality that we aren't as good at something as we thought we were. And I want us to hold on to that and think about that today. Because I think that that feeling, that that experience, is a very central part to the Easter story. And I think that if we don't understand that part of it, that there's a very important part of the story of Easter, the reason we're celebrating this morning, that you're going to miss. And the way I want us to talk about it is by looking at one individual in the story of Easter, a gentleman named Peter. For those of you that grew up in church, you've heard of Peter one of Jesus' disciples, and, and through looking at his part in the Easter story, I think we can come understand what it's like to wrestle with this feeling and, and what that points to as we look at the cross. And so that's what we're going to do today. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Matthew. Please open them to the book of Matthew. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 26 this morning. We're going to bounce around to a couple of places in the passage, but we're going to be in Matthew 26 for this first part. We're going to be in Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, there's going to be this, the, the Bible, the scripture up on the screen behind me. There it is. It looks so great. And as you're turning there, allow me to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the story. So... At this point, Jesus and his disciples just concluded something called the Last Supper. The Last Supper is very aptly named the last meal that Jesus of Nazareth gets to have with his disciples, these guys that he's walked around with, he's talked with, he's challenged, he's done miracles for, he's teached, he's done life with, he's become, they've become brothers with each other, basically. And in the dinner, in the Last Supper, he said a lot of very crazy things, crazy-sounding things, just off the walls. What does that even mean? But I think for the disciples, nothing was more, perhaps more shocking than what he tells them here, what he tells them here. This is immediately after the Last 
Supper. We're going to read through this passage little by little, and we'll explain it as we go. So starting out in verse 30, it says this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, setting, remember, remembering the setting of the story, we're in the city of Jerusalem. And a hill to the side of Jerusalem is a hill called the Mount of Olives. They called it a mountain. It wasn't that big of a mountain. It was a tall hill. And concluding the Last Supper, which would have happened in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus takes his disciples out of the city of Jerusalem, going to a place called the Mount of Olives. And apparently somewhere along the way, he tells them this. And, and for you all out there, I want you to imagine yourself in this situation. Or even imagine yourself with a trusted friend, and your friend tells you, you are going to abandon me. That's a very scary thing to say. That you, that I am going to abandon someone I trust, someone I love, someone I care for, that's a scary thing to say, right? And I think that the reaction that happens here is a reaction that a lot of us would have in our own ways. Reading in verse 33, Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Again, if we put ourselves into the shoes of the disciples, we would be, we would be crazy to, to, to not respond that way. Why would I deny you, Jesus? You've done all these miracles. You've done all these great things. You've had all this power. You've, you've done all this teaching. You are my brother. You are my teacher. And not just that, you have claimed to be my God. Why would I deny you? And, and Peter, in many ways, throughout the stories of, of, the, of, of Jesus um, walking on earth, Peter was, in a lot of ways, the sounding board. If he thought something, it was easy to think that a lot, maybe a lot of the disciples would have thought the same sort of thing. And, and, and he has this problem. He's that guy that doesn't think before he says something. Sometimes I'm that guy. Or I'll say something and go, oh, shouldn't have said that like that. That wasn't the best thing to say. Peter was, like, Peter was that guy. And he says, I don't care who's going to abandon you. You are my God. I will not, I will not deny you. I will not. One of the most dangerous letters in the alphabet is I. One of the most dangerous letters in the alphabet is I. I won't do that. I won't deny you. It puts the focus, it puts the cameras of life onto me. And it, the, the question isn't what others will do, it's what, I, what can I do? It assumes much of myself. And Peter here 
perhaps like me, at the ladies' tea time event, is saying, I can do this. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to deny you. I can do it, Jesus. Trust me. I can do this. I won't deny. I'll die. I will die for you. I will never deny you. And Jesus, I think in some ways, patiently reminds him and promises something to him. Truly, I tell you. When Jesus says, truly, I tell you, it's time to listen up. Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Not only does Jesus know what Peter is going to do, but his divine foreknowledge knows exactly what's going to happen when he does deny him. But Peter here, he says, I'm not going to do that. That's not going to happen. That is his, I think I'm pretty good at this. And we all have that, I think I'm pretty good at this. And not just that, but the world around us likes to tell us, you can do this. I think in a lot of times our world tells you, you can do this. You've got to power through. You've got to be strong. You can make it. Take care of yourself, yes, but you can do this. You can be a good spouse. You can be a good parent. You can get that promotion. You can make God happy. This is what the world may tell us. And the scary thing is, is when we compare that to Jesus, Jesus promises Peter, you can't. And we will find out what that looks like in this next passage. Fast forward with me, please. Verse 69. Verses 69 through 75. Over the course of a lot has happened in between these two passages. After Jesus denies, or not after Jesus denies, after Peter promises that he's not going to deny Jesus, they, will, they, they go to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a real place. You could go there. You could go there today. My wife has been there. It's a really cool place. You could go there yourself if you wanted to. Please go. It's in Israel. And they go there, and it's in this place that the beginning of what Jesus promises begins to come true. Is my mic okay? Am I good? Okay, sorry. I hear it a little quieter. Maybe I'm being too loud. But the beginning of what Jesus says begins to come true when, as they're there in the garden, is when one of Jesus' disciples, again, one of his brothers, one of his mentees, mentees, brings a group of armed militia and overpowers Jesus, arrests Jesus, and takes Jesus to a place called the Palace of the Sanhedrin, or the Palace of the High Priest. Now, the Sanhedrin was the religious leaders of the Jews in the time. And they had this weird combination of both state power and religious power. Think of a Supreme Court, but with a direct line to God. That's similar to the Sanhedrin. And Jesus is taken to this palace where he is, where he is stood before the Sanhedrin and unfairly unjustly he is convicted of a crime he doesn't commit and is sentenced to death 
And the text tells us that the Sanhedrin horrifically beats Jesus. This group of religious leaders, people that are supposed to replicate God's love, beat Jesus. It's a horrible thing. And we don't know much of what happened to the rest of the disciples. But we hear what happened to Peter. It says that Peter follows from behind. Peter takes this journey where he he walks from the, remember, we're still on the Mount of Olives. We're outside of the city of Jerusalem. He walks from outside of the city of Jerusalem, back in, following this militia that arrested Jesus into the palace of the Sanhedrin, of the high priests. And he follows them there. And that's where we pick up in verse 69. And again, I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. What is he thinking right now? Where's his headspace at? What's going through his mind? A lot, we can imagine. We don't know exactly what he's thinking, and so we need to be cautious when we, when we put thoughts into the text. But what would you be thinking if you were in this place This man that you've walked with for three years that's done miracles before you, who you've seen him raise the dead. He's now arrested. And he's going to these people who have tried to kill him in the past. And he's betrayed by one of your friends. What are you thinking? Are you scared? Are you doubting? Are you hurting? I don't know. We don't know what Peter was thinking. But what we do know starts at verse 69. When we get this. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. The palace was a big place. And it would have had several different courtyards where you could enter into the palace. And he was sitting, it says he was sitting outside in one of the courtyards. Probably one of the bigger courtyards of this palace. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also... We're with Jesus, the Galilean. Pause. As, as, as Peter is sitting in this courtyard, imagine what's around him. This text tells us that there's a group of servants just standing there, perhaps keeping warm. It's, it's, it's dark. In the Middle East, it, with the, 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 the night temperatures can drop as low as 40 or 30 degrees. It can get very, very cold there, which is surprising for it being in, in, in the desert or in a very hot climate, but it gets very cold in the, in, in, at night. There's no sun. There's no nothing. And so he's, Peter's there. He's cold. He's, he's probably holding himself like this, and he's still trying to process what's going on around him. And he's, he's, he's trying to pull two and two together. He's trying to figure out what to do. And then the slave girl comes up, and she says, you were with Jesus, right? This is his chance, guys. Remember what he said? I will not deny you. I will die. This is his chance to hold true to his promise. For him to power through. For him to do it. And his response? Verse 70. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Imagine 
the place that he's at as he's trying to wrestle with what's happening. It almost, this almost sounds like pushing away language. It's almost like, give me, hold on, I don't know what you're talking about. Stay back. I'm still trying to put this all together in my head. Verse 71. When he went out to the entrance, takes a step away. When he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. She's not just asking him. She's making a claim to those around them. There's, there's bystanders here. There's people here. There's servants here. More than likely, there was even armed guards here. These weren't just normal people. This was the, the religious leaders. There would be armed guards there defending, protecting them. Perhaps even some of the armed guards that Peter saw arrest Jesus are sitting in this courtyard. And he's thinking to himself, and he's, he's, he's wrestling, and, and then there's another accusation. And she calls in a bystander. She says, look, this guy was with Jesus. The pressure keeps mounting. Verse 72. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Beforehand, he just said something. Now, he's, now he says it with an oath. He's, 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 he's making stronger claims. I don't know what you're talking about. I promise you, I don't know who this person is. He's getting stronger in his, his denying and his pushing away. We'll read to the end of the passage, verse 73. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. This is evidence put against him. It's like it's not just someone making a claim. It's saying, this is you. Here's a reason why you sound like him. You come from the same region that he comes from. You have people talking that thing that you knew him. The jig is up. You were with Jesus. It would be impossible to deny it at this point. Verse 74. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's that moment that I was talking about. That moment when you thought you could do something and you learn you're not as good as you thought you were. He made a promise to God, and he did not hold up that promise. And again, the stronger language, he invokes a curse. He goes from, I don't know this guy, to, I promise you I don't know this guy, to, I swear, I don't know this guy. And before he can even realize perhaps what he's saying, the rooster crows, and it all comes back to him. And that rooster crow must have sounded like death. Pride does indeed come before the fall. 
Peter went from vowing to die to denying and running away to coming face to face with his own weakness. He promised Jesus something. He did not fulfill that promise. And I think that him coming face to face with his own weakness is a, it's, it's a reminder of one of the greatest weaknesses that we all have. And this is where we take a step out from Peter's perspective and we look at all of us and we remind ourselves of the weaknesses that we all carry. We are not designed to do this life on our own. We are not designed to be able to handle the pressures and the stresses of this world. We are not designed to do that. Because that's not how God, our creator, designed us in the first place. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, God created man and he created man to have a relationship with him. For for man to rely on God. God created us inherently with weaknesses. Not because he may have wanted us to be lesser, but because he wanted us to go to him as our provider. He wanted us to rely on him as our strength and our guide and our protection in life. But unfortunately, our selfishness gets the better of us. We remember back to Genesis chapter 3 when when the serpent or Satan is talking to Eve in the Garden of Eden and he's talking to her and he's he's trying to convince her to, to do the thing that God didn't want her to do, to eat the fruit from the tree that God did not want her to do. And what is his reasoning? You shall become like God. You will get to a place where you won't need God. You will be God. You will be strong enough. You can do it. You don't need him anymore. Just do this. And Eve does. And sin is brought into the world. And there's this divide that happens, this wall that gets put up. That is true, strong for us to break through this wall between us and God. And so we spend the rest of our lives trying to find something to fill in that hole that only God is designed to fill. We look to things in this world. We look to entertainment. We look to things that dull the pain. We look to different self-help ideas. We look to these different things that say, maybe this will work. Oh, it didn't work. Maybe this will work. Well, that didn't really work either. Maybe this will work, but we never go to God because we still want to do it all ourselves. We come to, and every time we come to this place of weakness, it's that reminder. We're reminded of it. Because of our sin, We cannot get to God, the thing that's going to give us the strength that we need. But because of our sin, not only can we not get to him, but we can't benefit. He can't help us. We are hopelessly lost. Peter here shows us that feeling where he went away and he wept bitterly. It's a horrible place to be. I know that many of us have been there before where we have nothing to do but weep and sit in our shame and our 
grief and our sadness and, and look for some sort of relief. But the beautiful, the beautiful thing is, is that relief is coming. But it's not coming from us. That is coming from the cross. Because later on in the story, Jesus is killed. Peter does run. But through this seeming place of weakness, Jesus does the strongest thing that anybody could do. That being, crush that wall between us and God. Pay for our sins by his death on the cross. And only through that can we rely on God, primarily for salvation, so that we can, we, we can have a right relationship with our creator as he designed it. But also we can fight through life and not try to rely on our own strength, but instead rely on his strength. We pick up in the story three days later. Open your Bibles to Mark 16. Mark 16. After the place of bitterness and death, we left off on Friday. The story picks up three days later. And I want to just read this passage in its entirety. I don't want to dissect it for a moment. I just want to read it. And I want you to paint the picture in your mind. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him being Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And, the, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, and I want us to sit on these words. Do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Have no fear. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I love that. Have no fear. Do not be alarmed. We pick back up on Sunday morning as the, the sun had risen 
It's an interesting way to say that. This, this group of faithful women, the disciples, no. Peter, no. They had fled, remember? A group of faithful women decided to go and put spices on the corpse of their God. Custom of the time, putting spices or oils and anointing the body would have been, would have been to elevate and to preserve and to, to try to literally put away the, the smell of, of, a, of a rotten dead body. But also it would have been to honor and anoint and, and lift up and give somebody the honor that they deserve. Maybe they didn't give it, get it in life, but they received it in death. And as they go, they're questioning. They're saying, what do we do? The stone is too large. And, and as they get there, that problem is quickly removed. They go into the tomb, and it says a, a young man in a white robe is sitting there, and, and there's fear. There is fear. Mark says a young man. But there must have been something greater. There must have been something there that brought fear into their eyes. Then he said to them, do not be alarmed. This man that was left here on Friday, he's not here anymore. And this morning we, we celebrate, the very reason we celebrate is because he's not in the tomb anymore. He has risen. It's kind of fun to do that. But when he, he doesn't just rise from the dead for some really cool comeback story. He rises from the dead for a very particular reason. In his death, he paid for our sins. He destroyed the barrier between us and God. In his resurrection, he shows his power over all things. He shows his power over the religious leaders at the time, over the Roman government at the time that was oppressing God's people. He shows his power over the very nature of how humans function, that primary power that we could never beat was death. Death isn't something we beat. Death is something that we deal with. But Jesus shows his power over not only every human institution on this earth, but through every creation, every, every institution that had ever been happened, even the price of sin, which is death. By Jesus paying for that, and by Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus is Lord over all things, even death. And I loved the, the words in Living Hope, how great the chasm that lay between us, how high this mountain that I can't climb. And the song says, in desperation, in desperation, I look to heaven. We have no ability to get to God. We have no ability to fix this sin problem that we created when we sought our own selfishness, when we wanted to be God. But through the resurrection, Jesus showed us his power over that. Jesus showed us his power to be able to restore the intended design between God and man. And notice even, I mean, you're sitting here and you're saying, where's Peter? I thought we were talking about Peter. Well, look at verse 7. But go, 
tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. First off, that's very familiar, right? Second off, we may ask, why did, you, why did these separate out the disciples from Peter? Why would he do that? Why is he calling Peter out here? In this time, if, 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 if somebody were to be mentioned aside from the group they were in, then they were mentioned with a level of elevation, with a level of honor, with a level of respect that was not given to the normal group. It was like the angels saying, go tell the disciples and Peter. Even in Peter's denying of God, God values him to that point. Even in Peter promising something to God, not fulfilling that promise, God still has a plan for him. God does not throw us away in our weakness. God does not push us away even when we deny him. God is loving. God is forgiving of every wrong we could ever do. Every sin we could ever commit is paid for on the cross. So that when we believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose from the dead to show his power over all things, God doesn't see our denying of him. God doesn't see our times we've tried to be selfish. God doesn't see the times that we've pushed him away and said, I got this. God sees Jesus in us. He sees Jesus' obedience, not my sin. And if you believe in Jesus this morning, take heart. The message of Easter isn't about how strong we are. We're not here to show how cool and powerful we are. We're not here to celebrate me, to celebrate you. We're here to instead celebrate our weaknesses as God designed us. And the fact that without relying on the strength of God, we are hopelessly lost. When we are weak is when God works Peter showed us his weakness, and God worked through that, and God still worked with Peter after this. This is the same Peter that in the next couple of books, he converts thousands, and he, he baptizes, and he talks with, and he helps lead the church, God's people, God's mission. Jesus wasn't done with Peter at his mistakes but instead, many times, Jesus uses our mistakes to point us to him. As I said before, the gospel isn't an invitation for us to be stronger or for us to be better, but it's an invitation for us to be weak and rely on the power of God. That's a weird thing to say, right? Easter is here so that we can know our weakness and how much we need God. And in closing, I have three points, one for three different groups of people. The first group of people I would like to say is if you came in this morning and you may not have or believe in, in Jesus or believe in this whole Easter thing, you're hearing people say amen, you're saying that's good for you, but that's not for me. First off, I'd like to say thank you for being here. 
It's a different place. It's a weird place. I mean, why do we do this? But my encouragement for you and my question for you is, has this world satisfied? Are you going through life being able to work through your own strength to get what you want? Or is there something more that you're looking for and everything you try doesn't get you to that point? If you've tried that and you've seen the struggles of life and you've seen your own weakness, my encouragement to you is to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus' message of salvation. Accept his, his death on the cross to pay for your sins and, and believe and, and live for God. Obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that. Obviously, it's not easy. But you are not meant to live and rely on yourself. Lean on Jesus. My next point is perhaps for the Christian who came today, and this may be your first time back to church in, in maybe a while. Maybe you're going between churches. Maybe you're even questioning church itself and all this different stuff. If you are, then thank you for being here. Thank you. We welcome you just as much as we welcome anybody else. And I want to point you to Peter's situation. Because if you may feel like you have done something that somehow pushes you away from God, that somehow removes you from God's favor, removes you from God's grace, removes you from God's love, my answer to you is that is not true. Is that there is a God that chooses us even in our denying of him. Even when we mess up, even when we sin, God brings us to himself and he uses our weaknesses to bring us to him. If you are in this place, my encouragement to you is don't let this be your last Sunday. Don't let this be your last Sunday. Is you are not meant to do this life alone. You are not meant to rely on God, to learn how to rely on God alone because it's a life learning process. It's a lifelong journey. You don't just learn it. My challenge for you is to get into community, to, to, to join groups of Christians who will, who will struggle with you as they themselves are learning how to rely on God's strength instead of their own. Our church has life groups where we offer, where it's literally groups where people can do life together and people can come together and ask, how do I do this? How do I rely on God with this? How do I give up this? How do I battle through this life? This is hard. God did not design us to do it alone. God designed us to, to rely on him and to learn through him and learn through community because many times God speaks through his community. And if we push away the church or we push away God's community, many times we may push away God wanting to speak to us through his people. So please, join us in community. Not only for your benefit, but for ours. And my third point is for those who make going to church on a Sunday morning or, or believe in Jesus and live that out regularly, a, a practice in your life, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. But my challenge for you is it seems like in many places, in, in the church specifically, we can run the risk of, of falling into the pit that Peter fell in where we say, God, I can follow you. God, I can do this. 
And we can, we can validate ourselves and say, this is me relying on God. But how often is it, is it us relying on ourselves? Friends, my challenge for you is at some point this week, go home and look at all the things in your life. Look at all the things that are pushing you down, that are, that are causing disruption in your life. Even write them down and find time to pray, to go to God and say, God, help me take these loads off of my shoulders. They're not designed for my shoulders anyways. I can't do this on my own, God. Find a way to develop a habit of taking the load off of your shoulders and putting it at the feet of Jesus, who can bear that load. It was Jesus, after all, that said, come to me all who are weary, all who are tired and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You will find salvation for your souls. As I said before, Easter isn't about how cool we are. It's about how weak we are. It's about how strong God is. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner that we can please God with our lives and, and not be weighed down by the threats of this world. That is what Easter is about, and that is why we praise our resurrected King.